Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. I'm Tim Ryder from Metsmerized. Back with us today is Jacob Resnick, also from Metsmerized, Mets Miners. And uh, we have a lot on the docket, don't we, Jacob? We do. Um, you know, I, I want to say that, that uh, I don't know if anyone would, would be as uh, excited to, to hear me on here as, as they would be for Dennis Cook. That was a fantastic interview that you, that you guys did with, uh, with Dennis. But, uh, yeah, I'm happy, to, I'm happy to be back on the podcast. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, he was a lot of fun. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I think I don't think uh, you know brutal honesty would even begin to describe Dennis in a conversation. That was awesome. Yeah. But uh, yeah, let's uh, let's get right down to it. Um, lots going on. Everybody's well aware. Uh, you have the ongoing negotiations between uh, the owners and the players, and we're, we're certainly going to touch on that, but, uh, we're going to lead off with, uh, what's happening in the minor leagues. Uh, we're recording right now. This it's Thursday evening around seven o'clock. So news has uh, started dribbling in regarding, um, just massive, massive, um, releases from each franchise, uh, I'm sure we're going to be hearing more and more about the who's and what's over the next few days. But, uh, Jacob, let's, I want to hear your take on it. You have your, your finger on the pulse of the minor leagues. Uh, just what's the, what's the environment like right now? Yeah, it's kind of, uh, I guess mayhem would be a, a good way to describe just kind of how quickly everything is unfolding. Um, on a broad, scope on, on, a, on the, the big picture way to look at it, this isn't really unusual in terms of, you know, guys get released every year. And um, I think it was uh, a couple off seasons ago. Um, I, I, yeah, it was the first off season that, that Brody inherited the, the organization. Um, they released upwards of, of 60, I believe 60 players um, that off season. So, Releases from the minor leagues are things that typically happen every year. Um, it was kind of weird this past off season. The Mets didn't really release anyone other than a couple guys here and there, but they kept their organization intact for the most part. But um, the reason why this is kind of ha- all happening right now is because we are slowly approaching um, June 1st in a couple days. We're recording this on May 28th. Um, and when baseball went into a complete shutdown in middle of March, um, the commissioner commissioner's office kind of put a, a freeze on the minor league contract um, and, and saying that the players won't be paid what they would be during the regular season, which would have started in early April um, because of everything that's going on. Um, there was an agreement, though, to pay – Players a stipend of sorts of four hundred dollars a week, um, but it was only guaranteed through the end of May, which is is coming up in um, you know a, a matter of hours. So um, as we get closer to that deadline of this, the, the first agreement of the stipend um, coming to an end, uh, it's, it's kind of coming out which teams are extending. That, that pay, I guess it is kind of up to the teams whether they, they want to continue paying players the stipend, raise the stipend, lower the stipend, or uh, eliminate it completely. And we heard the Oakland Athletics are, are one of the teams who are canceling that stipend. Um, but it is kind of a crazy situation because these players are 
not getting paid. They're not getting paid a stipend. They're not getting paid their salary. Um, but they're still uh, members of the organization and they're not free agents and they can't go elsewhere. And they also can't collect unemployment benefits because they're still technically uh, an employee of their organization. So um, as teams are kind of approaching this deadline and deciding what they want to do, um, they are crunching the numbers and seeing, is it worth keeping everyone in our organization and continuing to pay them the stipend or can we continue to pay the stipend, but just cut a bunch of players and release them and have to pay fewer players. Uh, and that's kind of the attitude that most teams are, are probably going to take, including the Mets who uh, I believe 35 to 40 is, is the range of players that they, uh, they released today and they didn't notify those players. Um, and uh, it, it is frustrating and it's um, kind of, an example of the sad state of affairs. Um, but like I said, on, on one hand, this is something that would have happened anyway. Um, you know, these are not top prospects that are getting released. They're guys who um, kind of had everything stacked against them and, and would have had an extreme uphill climb to make the major leagues anyway. Um, not that it's completely devastating to them and their families because it is. Um, and especially because they're, getting released over $400 a week, which is, you know, a drop in the bucket compared to uh, what these, these, uh, these owners have in their, in their pockets. So, um, you know, the, the, you can kind of break down the, the, the types of players that the Mets released into um, some veteran guys who have been brought into the organization as depth over the last couple of years, um, you know, late round draft picks that have kind of been, toiling away in the low minors for a couple of years, um, non-drafted free agents who, you know, are, are not really going to make the majors anyway. Um, and, uh, you know, some guys who are kind of approaching minor league free agency anyway, they've been in the organization for five, six, seven years. So um, their time was running out as well, but it, you know, it, it just is really kind of a sad, a sad time to, to be following the minor leagues. And I, I can't even imagine it for, for the players themselves. Oh, sure. I guess, you know, just on social media on Thursday, and I guess Thursday evening, late Thursday afternoon, uh, you saw guys like Rob Whalen, who um, was brought back to the Mets organization this offseason. Uh, he confirmed that he was released. Uh, uh, Valentino. Uh, Frank, Frank Valentino. Frank Valentino. Thank you. He's from Long Island. I should really know that. Um, he, was a, he was a crazy, a crazy story because he, he went to uh, – uh, the New York Institute of Technology grew up a Mets fan on Long Island. And then kind of right like a week after the, the cyclone season started, they signed him. Uh, he had been pitching in the independent leagues for a couple of years and mm-hmm. they signed him. They signed him to a, a, a free agent contract and he pitched with the cyclones was pretty good. Um, and, and his debut, all his, all his fan, uh, friends and family were there. And, uh, and uh, it, it was, it was fun to watch him as kind of the hometown kid for the cyclones last year. But yeah, he, he was one of the guys who unfortunately got cut as well. Yeah, and I guess, you know, he showed some promise, um, you know, a low ERA below 3.5, which was, you know, promising. Um, but, you know, to see the, the most heartbreaking and gut-wrenching part to me is to see these guys who, who you know, work to get here. Like, you look at Valentino, who was playing at NYIT, and then he's in the independent leagues, and then, boom, he gets himself a, you know, professional ball contract. And, uh, you know, to have that kind of 
rug pulled out from underneath you has to be a, a gut punch. Um, look at Rob Whalen, who was so excited to be back in the organization. Uh, I spoke with Metzmerized last year. And, um, you know, now he's out looking for a job again. And, and it, it just – it doesn't completely I, – I, we all understand that the minor leagues had to be streamlined. Um, they, were, they would have had to have – there would have had to have been uh, just a, a massive overhaul, whether it's realignment of divisions, of, of leagues, of um, – it, it just – I think – I guess none of us really expected the uh, – such drastic changes and the the hammer to fall so quick like this. It's just uh it's disappointing. It's um it's 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 just it's tearing apart the future of the game. Uh you know, what blows my mind is that this four hundred dollar stipend, which you know, good on the teams who have can who have uh, you know announced that they'll continue them. Um you have to just shake your head and wonder what the teams who are choosing not to uh, pay their minor leaguers are thinking, but that's, you know, that's their call. That's uh, ownership's uh, prerogative, I guess you could say. But, you know, that $400 stipend is more than most minor league players make in a week during the season. Um, there's got to be a middle ground here. You know, you can't expect minor league ball players to keep themselves in game shape and be ready, uh, even though a, you know, a minor league season is looking very unlikely at this point. But, you know, if they're still employees and they can't go anywhere else, then, you know, they have to prepare like professional athletes. And if you're not going to give them anything and these guys are going to, you know, have to go out and get jobs or, you know, do what they have to do for money, it's just – um, it's it shakes the fan to its core. I know it just blows my mind that, you know, these guys are literally the future of your organization or the future of the game as a whole. And they're just – they're being shunned and uh, being used as a pawn at times – uh, you know, MLB is, you know, they're pulling these strings under the cloak of uh, of everything else that's going on right now. And it just, it feels so, so dirty. <laughs> I guess that would be the best way to put it. It just feels wrong. And, um, you know, I guess a lot, <laughs> a lot feels a little off these days. But uh, you, you just, you have to wonder what's next. Um I know we spoke about it on the pod previously about hopefully, I guess, the independent leagues kind of getting a, um, a leg up in, I guess, becoming more of a, a viable option for professional level ball players. But there's got to be some positives that come out of this, whether, uh, you know, travel and logistics are going to be more streamlined, whether minor leaguers are going to be paid more. Uh, there's just so many punch there's so many items on the punch list that you have to wonder um whether this is going to ignite or or be a catalyst for a a complete overhaul which would leave minor leaguers in a better position to succeed but again you can hope in one hand and crap in the other and see which one fills up first (laughs) yeah i mean it's, it's, it's just kind of hard to obviously like you said this is going to lead somewhere and you know when when this is when fast forward to 2024 and everything's back to normal and baseball's going on and, and things will just kind of feel normal then just under the new kind of situation, but it'll, it'll just kind of, it'll look different and, and it'll feel normal then, but it's kind of hard to see what that looks like now um, because everything's kind of happening so quickly. And, I, you know, obviously, like you said, major league baseball has their, their vision for how to, um, adjust the game in a way that, that saves money that they think they have to save. 
Um, and they're kind of, this is what is kind of pushing that in that direction. Uh, we just don't know exactly what their vision looks like um, at, from the, the public perspective. So it, it's just kind of something that, that we're all going to have to, uh, you know, hold our noses and, and uh, just kind of wait it out, I guess. Oh, that's a freaking tough pill to swallow. Um, you know, they, they, uh, I guess Major League Baseball kind of laid the foundation for all of this when they shortened the draft and the, the ripple effects of that. I, I don't even think we can begin to quantify that at this point, but, um, you know, what, I guess the mindset, I know we can't look directly into a, a draft room or a, or, a, or a brain trust right now, but, you know, what, what do you think the mindset is going into such a talent-laden yet completely just devastatingly short draft? Like, you know, are teams looking to fill holes in their minors in their minor system right now? Um, are they just looking for the highest level of talent? Is this going to turn into the NFL draft where you just take the best talent there is and, and, and go? Like, what what should we look forward to? Yeah, I mean, no one kind of really knows right now, even though it's, it's approaching within, you know, less than two weeks, really. Um, but I think you kind of have to look at it as you have so few picks, and the Mets are kind of lucky that they have six picks in, instead of most teams have five. And, you know, some teams like the Yankees and the Nashers who have lost picks have, have fewer than that. Um, you know, if you're a amateur scouting director, kind of running running the operations for, for your organization's draft. Um, I think you just have to have the mindset of, you know, because these, these guys are not, they're, they're high up within the organization, but they're not, they have people above them um, in terms of the GM and the assistant GM and the player development director, all those guys. So, you know, you're, you're, you're always kind of on edge about your job in, in, in such a, a business that, that has so much uh, turnover. Um but I feel like if you're going into this draft, you are are thinking, um, I have to hit on every single guy that we take um, because the margin for error is is so slim. Um, so it's really going to be interesting um, whether and, and couple that with the fact that that the uh, you know, colleges college game is kind of all getting mixed up for the next couple of years because uh, guys who are Seniors that expecting to leave um, because they were going to graduate, they can now come back to, to, to school. So they have they have more leverage than usual. Um, high school kids are probably more likely to go to college. So um, it's it's not going to be a usual draft by by any means. Um, but it's more important than the usual draft because um, because you have fewer picks and, and you kind of have to hit on everyone. So I, I can I can see. Uh, more safe picks being being made. Um, you know, the, the Mets have, have kind of gone uh, under slot on their earlier picks in, in the past to to get a high upside high schooler and spend more money to to pry him away from a, a college commitment uh, later in the draft. So um, we're not going to see those. And and if uh, if the Mets come out of of the the 2020 draft with with six college guys in their in their their hall, I, I would not be surprised by any means. Yeah, I guess if this is um, if this is how they're going to choose to streamline things with with you know high level ready talent, um, you know that's certainly one way to go about it. 
it's just it's such a shock to the system. And uh, like you said, it's just unpredictable, and we, we really have no um, no way of <laughs> of knowing how this is all going to shake out. But uh, certainly wild, certainly just um, you know we shall see. Any uh, any any sleeper picks or any any it's not really sleeper picks. This is just such a pool of talent. But uh, are you leaning in any direction? Which uh, which way the Mets might go in the in the higher rounds? Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of been interesting to read about these guys um, as of late. Uh, I don't know if you you saw on on MMN uh, our good friend Doug from from the Twitter world um, wrote a wrote an article kind of just laying out the the possibilities at, at the the nineteenth overall pick, which is where the Mets are are selecting. Um, it, it's it, it like you mentioned. It, it, it is a a draft full of talent. Um, really, really deep on pitching. Um, and and with that being said, uh, you know, given what the Mets have done in the past, um, kind of in that mid to late first round pick, um, you know, they've they've gone to to Justin Dunn, David Peterson, kind of around that that twentieth pick in the past. Um, whereas they're, they're more liable to go hitting earlier in the draft. So, um, you know, tons of guys that, that could, uh, could fly to that 19th pick. Garrett Crochet, uh, Bryce Jarvis, uh, Kate Valley, just lots of names that, that are interesting and, and guys who, who have come, come are, are coming out from, from big, uh, college programs. So, um, you know, I, I won't pretend to, 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 know, to say that I know exactly where they're where they're going to go with with what type of player they're looking at, but um, I think it's pretty solid to say that they're going to go college pitcher, um, just because there there are so many great options, and um, you know people are are looking at the, <laughs> the the current state of the system and saying, oh, they they need a they need an outfielder because they have no outfield prospects in the system. Well, you know, by the time this first round pick is going to be reaching the majors, you have no idea kind of what the the uh, the outlook is going to be so you can't really draft for for present need and, and you got to look at the best player available and um, you know the Mets have a, a very good amateur scouting staff so I trust that they'll be able to make the right selection. Oh yeah, and it looks like it, it actually from last year it feels like they have the um, the talent evaluators as well as the contract negotiators because. Uh, I'm still in awe that they landed Matthew Allen, but, uh, you know, good things are coming, I hope. Um, I think we should move on to the MLB side of things, just because that's been a uh, a hot-button topic over the last few days, to say the least. All right, so last we heard, um, the Players Association vehemently rejected the uh, initial proposal from Major League Baseball, uh, which was uh, a sliding scale reduction in salary. Um, the lower level salaried players, I think it was 1 million and under would lose anywhere from 72% to 90%, uh, would, I'm sorry, lose, uh, they would still receive anywhere from low seventies to 90% of their salary, uh, based on where they fall in that, in that sliding scale. Um, what's more concerning is, uh, up towards the, the higher salaried players up the top of that list. Um, Players would be seeing, you know, 40%, 50%, 70%, up to 80% cuts uh, in their salary. Now, uh, of course, you know, the union is uh, is up in arms over this. Um, there's a lot of opinions out there. Um, you know, I think, it, Jacob, I have to assume that, you know, 
are you placing? You know what? I'll ask. I assuming uh, only makes an ass out of out of me. So, uh, you know, do you have a a side here? Do you see both sides? Um, are you swaying in any certain direction regarding the players or the owners here? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I don't. Uh, I don't think it's it's ethical to to side. When, when you're looking at millionaires versus billionaires, I don't think it's ethical to side with the billionaires um, when it comes to to really what comes down to penny pinching. Um, and it, it's frustrating as a baseball fan to see to see it come down to to this uh, kind of how this is unfolding. Um, and and I certainly would would hope that that they're able to to come to an agreement. Um, but you know, I I don't think under any circumstance the players should be risking their health and safety uh, at the expense of of uh, their salary, um, especially you know, given that it was agreed it was agreed upon that they would that they would uh, be paid on a prorated basis um, at the outset, and and uh, you know the, the owners somehow did not have the the foresight to. Uh, to see that that it would come to a situation where they would be asking for for some guys to take us a, a an extra seventy percent cut, um, I do see from MLB's perspective how, given what their agenda is, they're kind of tied in what they can try to do and, and propose and still kind of make um, you know not make too many concessions. Um, you know, it, it kind of makes sense that they would propose that the the, the players who are getting paid the most money would uh, get the most cut out of their salary, and the, the, the guys who are making less would get less cut out. Um, but you know, I, I'm not, you know, given I'm sure we're going to get into you know Max Scherzer's comments, and give, given kind of what's all unfolded, um, especially publicly, obviously that's that's part of it is kind of what who leaks what to the media to kind of change the perception surrounding them. Um, you know, I, I'm not very uh, very optimistic at this point that that a deal gets reached soon. Um, and then at a certain point, you know, how late is too late to, to play a season is what it's going to come down to. Oh, for sure. I guess you have very limited time to negotiate. Um, if if the league wants to set an early July tentative opening day, they're they're going to have to. Everyone's going to have to get on their horse and, and come to an agreement. Now, um, as expected, once the uh, details of the initial proposal from MLB were leaked, um, the union wanted no part of that. And Max Scherzer came out on Wednesday, late Wednesday night, early Thursday morning, actually, um, to say that the union. Uh, I guess he's on the executive board of the Players Association. Um, I'm going to quote him here. After discussing the latest developments with the rest of the players, there's no reason to engage with MLB in any further compensation reductions. Um, you know, just that—that's a—that's a, a lead and a half, and I have to commend Scherzer on um, on starting off strong. I, I, you know, the—I get it that this is an initial pro, uh, proposal, and um, everyone expected this to be. You know, an out there proposal because uh, uh, a counter offer or a counter proposal is uh, is just next in the process. But <laughs> the level of I'm gonna I'm gonna use the word disrespect. The level of disrespect, at least from a fan's perspective, from from my perspective, I should say, um, 
where, you know, you're going to, I understand the sliding scale and sure these ball players are, are wealthy on that end of the scale and they can afford a pay cut. But, um, you know, the, the morality of asking, uh, asking any employee to take a pay cut while putting themselves and their families at risk, um, working in a pandemic in public in a clubhouse full of 30 people. Um, that's just enough right there. But if everybody wants to play as the players said they do, um, you know, small concessions. Yeah, of course. I think that could be worked upon. And even deferrals, if they do want to cut out big giant portions of money, which nobody wants that. And personally, I don't think MLB is hurting that bad, which we'll never really know because they're never going to open their books. But, um, I, I just, I think there's so much potential for middle ground here. And I agree. Um, Everything playing out in the public is uh, is only hurting the brand. It's hurting negotiations. It's it's uh, it's swaying public opinion at a at a rate that um, you know only social media can bring. And it's you know in 1994 it was a little different. Everyone you know read it in the newspaper and talked about it with their friends and around the dinner table. Now it's an ongoing conversation 24 uh, seven. It's you know it, it's frightening to an extent. I do see hope that. There will be an agreement because there's just so much middle ground. But, you know, looking at, you know, how do I put it? You have money on the table. And, of course, money on the surface is the root of this dispute. But it's so much deeper than that. Um, It comes down to principle. As I was saying before, these are your employees. They are the wheels that make this train go, make this, you know, vehicle move. Asking these guys to sacrifice when your owners and the league, you know, make exponentially more money than your players do. And those players are the ones who attract your Mike Trouts of the world, your your 30 million plus players, 30 million a year plus players. Those are the guys that attract, you know, viewers to the game. Those are the guys that are that are marketing the game to the fans and, uh, you know, asking them to eat. Take an 80% loss on an already truncated season, you know, just to me personally, and everyone's going to have their opinion. It's, it's, it's unconscionable. It's, it's, it's not even remotely palatable. Um, And you know what, if you want to give Mike Trout $9 million in a season that he's supposed to get 30 million, if it was a full year, you know, at least, (laughs) <laughs> this is a bump in the road in the in the in the big picture of Major League Baseball. Deferrals kind of have to be brought into play here. You can't ask the the life of the league to just eat a loss that the league could absorb and move on without. You know, it wouldn't be catastrophic. That's what I. That's what I. How I should put it. And it, it, there's just so many question marks, and you have to wonder what you're what you're seeing from. You know, on a on a regular, consistent basis, is is to be believed. And if you look closely, you know your bigger names. Your I'm talking pointing to the sports writers. Your bigger guys like the Jeff Passons and the and the Ken Rosenthal's. Um, I find it encouraging that they're kind of refraining from the from the fray. <laughs> they're they're giving us the news. They're giving us facts to go along with the news. And you know, and those facts don't always paint the best picture for one side or the other. But um. I just kind of implore everybody, you know, take what you see with a grain of salt. And I, I'm 
a culprit myself. I got very, very wrapped up in Twitter on Wednesday, um, vehemently defending the player's side of the, uh, of the argument. But, you know, there's going to be a lot of information coming out. There's going to be a lot of a lot of ups and downs and we kind of have to take it as they come and ride each wave as it is. And, you know, I think we should all just have faith that an agreement's going to, going to be uh, a compromise is going to be come to because this is uh, there's too much riding on it. Our lost season would be worst case scenario for every party involved. And uh, I just can't see it happening. Absolutely. Um, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up uh, 1994 a few minutes ago, because um, this is, this is not the, the last negotiation that, that will be had between the players union and uh, the league uh, over the next, um, you know, 12 to 14 months because uh, the, the CBA is set to expire after the, the 2021 season. So every kind of, uh, every negotiation tactic that's used now will affect uh, discussions later. Um, and I'm kind of, Interested in, in how uh, how this is going to affect that because if if they're not able to get to under a, an agreement for this season um, and perhaps there's a delay to 2021 because everyone's still recovering from the effects of of the pandemic, um, you know we we might be seeing five months of baseball over a, a three year span, which is kind of crazy to even think about. But um, you know I, I think. It's kind of hard for, for people to sympathize with the players, um, you know, from from the perspective of, of someone who, who works a, a blue-collar job. Uh, I think it, it, it's hard to, to sympathize with anyone who's in the middle of a, a millionaire versus billionaire argument. Um, but, you know, I think it's important to maintain the perspective that, at the end of the day, their their job is major league baseball player, um, just like your job is is whatever it may be. And um, there comes a certain point, and you have to think about it from your own perspective. There comes a certain point where if your 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 company um, you know has to slap your salary, um, there's a certain point where it's just not worth it financially to you and your family to take the risk of leaving your house every day. Um, and, and risk your health and safety uh, to continue performing performing your job. So um, I, I really think it's important to keep in mind that that these are these are our people who work and and put a lot of effort into their their job, um, and we kind of have to uh, have to remember that they're uh, they're they're people who are who are navigating this this situation just like just like you and I. So. Um, no, I'm kind of. I, I said I'm pessimistic about a deal getting reached, but I'm I'm hopeful that the uh, kind of the human side of of both sides um, kind of is able to shine through, and and that's what it's going to come down to. Is, is you know, uh, Tony Clark is a, is a person, Rob Manfred is a person, and I hope hope that that they're able to have uh, you know discussions that that don't let. Um, you know, finances in in their totality come between uh, reaching an agreement. That, that's kind of how I view things. See, like, I, I look at it, <laughs> I don't see any difference between myself, an employee at a company, 
and uh, a baseball player and employee at a company. Um, everyone, you know, I hear a lot of arguments of, well, these guys make millions, they're millionaires, they make millions of dollars a year. But, you know, it's good work if you can get it. If I had the skills to be a professional baseball player, um, that would, you know, and I had the opportunity to do it, that would be my job. Um, what the market, it's you, what the market demands, you know, for, for correct. that profession. Yeah. Yeah. You have doctors, you have lawyers, um, you know, uh, 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 you know, I, I'm a steam fitter. I, I don't make what a doctor makes. I don't make what a lawyer makes, but that's, this is my specialized skill. This is what the market dictates. Like you said, um, I think, you know, expecting just because these specialized employees, extremely skilled employees, extraordinarily skilled employees, you know, just because they make more money than average Joe, they have to give up all this, all, all their hard earned money. Like these guys earned their contracts. They're under contract to make X, to make X amount of dollars. Um, you know, gate receipts. I find it very hard to believe that gate receipts are, uh, a, a, a sizable portion of this pie for owners or, or the, or the league itself. Um, you know, this is going to be unprecedented TV money this year. I, I just, I, part of me doesn't buy it when MLB cries poor. I think that they could, all right, I think their first number was a $4 billion estimated loss of revenue. I'm not an, I'm not an economist, but I do believe for a 10 to whatever billion dollar a year corporation, a one time $4 billion loss of revenue, not loss of, of, of money, loss of revenue. That's, that's, you know, a bump in the road. It's a, it's a big freaking bump, but it's a bump in the road. How MLB isn't standing behind its owners and its players and saying, Hey guys, you know what? We're going to dip into the coffers and we're going to cover expenses. We're going to subsidize losses. We're going to make sure our players get paid. We're going to make sure our owners do not feel the sting. Um, the, the, you know, you look at billionaires versus uh, millionaires, but look at the league itself, who's a multi-billion dollar corporation. You know, they can take this hit. And I mentioned it in an article on a Metamorize not too long ago. They could, if they were to embrace some sort of subsidy plan, a bailout maybe, I know, I think I've said it on the show too. They'd have such an opportunity to, and you know how much public opinion means to Major League Baseball. They'd have such an opportunity to come out of this, like, just victorious. This is what the heads, the the, the top of the chain should be doing for everyone beneath them. Because it, it just, it, it, it makes no sense to me to put economic or financial stress due to an economic downturn, financial stress due, due to an economic downturn, to put that on the employees in any situation is just, it's, it's abhorrent. It's, it's absolutely, um, it's disgusting. I just, I couldn't see it happening. And I know that people are, people are hurting right now. Just regular average people. Everybody's hurting. There's 40 million people on unemployment right now. Um, but, you know, it, I don't even know where to go with it next. It's it's tough to relate to, but in its simplest form, I think that we can all relate to the players as employees because we're employees ourselves. And for people to split up the union to take, all right, well, the high-end players are going to be upset, but the low-end players, that's not what a union's about. 
Like there are basic principles and the foundation and the tenets of a union and, uh, you know, outside forces saying that the union is split. That's just, uh, that's out of line in my opinion. And it's, uh, it's a shame. And I know we got a little off topic here, but this is a wide ranging spectrum of, of, uh, of a shitstorm here. It really is. It's just, it's layer after layer after layer. And you uncover one. It's like those little Russian dolls where you pull them out. There's just another one on the inside. It's just, it's, uh, it's strange. It is certainly strange. And then you have the Mets in the middle of it. And, uh, so many question marks. I know Metsmerized, there was a great article on it regarding Marcus Stroman's time here, his trade here, and and where things stand now because, uh, you know, they traded away a couple of really good prospects for his services and, you know, a shortened season. And we all hope that he resigns here, but, you know, they don't have more than, they don't have, they, they do have more than one player who's in that situation. But uh, you just, yeah, you have to wonder the ripple effects of all this. Yeah. I mean, in, uh, in due time, we will, uh, we will be aware of those ripple effects. And it's kind of unsettling to, to be in the position we are at the present time where we don't really know where this is all heading, but, um, we will, we will eventually and we will all, uh, look back on, on this period of, of, uh, baseball history kind of, you know, like, uh, you know, people like yourself who were around at the time look back at, at the 1994 season. Um, and you know, whether, whether we look back on, on 2020 with, um, with, uh, disgust or with, uh, you know, pride, I think, uh, that's kind of the, the determination that, that will be made in the, in the coming weeks. So. I mean, that's what, I mean, 94. I mean, I was old enough to remember it. I was very much involved in sports at the time. I was just, a, you know, I was a preteen, but I was, uh, I was a sports nut as a kid. So, for my recollection, um, at the base of '94 was a salary cap trying to be imposed by the owners and the players' association, head up by Donald Fair, I believe, who's at the head of the NHL Players Association now. Um, you know, it, it, this is a basic union thing, like you. You know, we've, we've collectively bargained that there is no salary cap. You can't impose a salary cap. And, of course, there is an impasse. And there are layers to that as well. But, um, you know, public opinion was swayed. And maybe that was because there was a, uh, I don't want to say a shortage of, um, of media voices, but it, was, it wasn't like it is today. You know, you had your newspapers. And in New York, we're lucky. We had three big newspapers that we could go to between Newsday, The Post, Daily News, and, and even further. But just tabloid stuff with good sports pages. Um, you know, you had differing opinions and, and people were swayed. But uh, I, I still, even then, I couldn't grasp the players as being greedy. Um, this is kind of just how baseball was. There was no salary cap. And these are guaranteed contracts. And, eh, you know, there there are, I guess... Not similarities, but you can kind of see shades of uh, of similar disputes from back then and trickling over. And, you know, it, it took a lot to bring the game back last time between the home run chase in 98 and um, even before that. Cal, I think Cal Ripken had more to do with it than anything to uh, break in Luke Eric's consecutive game streak. But um, it took a lot to bring the game back. And, you know, I think there's enough talent now that if, you know, stuff were to go downhill – whether it's this season or whether it's after the, the CBA expires. Um, there's enough talent here to bring the game back. 
I think that's that's the silver lining that I can find in a worst case scenario that uh you know there would be the the, the foundation would be in place to to kind of just hit the ground running. Um what I would never want to see are replacement players because that was something that was brought up in 1994 and almost happened in 1995. Uh you know these guys were in camp ready to go and then uh the uh an an agreement was come was come to, but um, I, I would be uh, that's what would kind of really drive me off the wall um, if replacement players came into the equation, and I hope it never ever gets to that point because uh, you know that's not Major League Baseball. That's uh, you know that's that's not Major League Baseball. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. But uh. Jacob, uh, today's May 28th, and we we have to talk about it because four years four years ago today, uh, quite possibly one of the I want to say one of the most shining moments of Terry Collins' tenure as manager of the New York Mets uh, went down. Uh, everyone remembers uh, Chase Utley sliding into Ruben Tejada in 2015, breaking his leg. Uh, you know kind of putting Tejada on a pedestal forever in Queens because he is, uh, remains our hero. But um, Noah Syndergaard on May 28th, 2016, got the opportunity for a little revenge and uh, took aim at Chase Utley and missed and was immediately ejected from the game. Jacob, you had a terrific article come out on Thursday on Metsmerized, kind of going over that whole uh, scenario and what led up to it and what came of it and uh, – but take us down, take us down memory lane, bud, because uh, it was really it was a terrific read. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, I, I was at that game, and I distinctly remember, um, you know, just kind of the the excitement surrounding that. Really, that whole weekend. Um, I remember uh, Curtis Granderson hit hit a walk off homer on, on Friday night, and then Saturday night was the. Uh, was the 1986 World Series celebration where they brought back all the players and had them uh, on the field, and, and that was really cool. Um, so there was just a lot of a lot of excitement. The stadium was full, um, and it just so happened that the Dodgers were in town that weekend, um, and it was the first time that Chase Utley had had set foot in, in City Field um, since uh, Game Four of the NLDS, uh, which was two games after he he broke Ruben Tejada's leg with. Uh, with the, the quote-unquote slide uh, into second base. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, it was just kind of a, a, a night where uh, emotions were already riding high and then, then Syndergaard added to it. Um, and I think that the two big things that I took away from kind of going back through everything and, and writing the article uh, that came out on Thursday was, Number one, Ruben Tejada was not on the team at the time, and that was obviously something that is known. And, and you know, they they released him in, in spring training that season. But I just kind of forgot that that he that his last uh, game until his completely forgettable and you know you're accused if you missed it nine games spent with the team in, in 2019. Um, but his last game with the Mets was was you know getting his leg broken on on the field in, in Los Angeles. Um, so Tejada wasn't on the team and coincidentally had been designated for assignment by the Cardinals earlier that day, that same day that, that Syndergaard threw, threw behind Utley. Uh, Tejada had been uh, let go by the Cardinals after about 30, 
34, 35 at bats with the, with the team. Um, so some kind of, uh, <laughs> interesting symmetry there. Um, but you know, just the fact that the team still had his back, uh, even after he was gone from the team. I mean, at the time of his release, he was one of the longest tenured Mets on the team. Um, really only behind, uh, David Wright at the time. So, um, you know, he was their guy and, and, and they, they needed to, to stand up for him, even if he, he wasn't there. Uh, number two was that, you know, Terry Collins and really Sandy Alderson as well were very good at dealing with the media in terms of, you know, saying a lot, but not really giving, giving away too many, you know, inside secrets in terms of what they were thinking about certain things. Um, and I went back and, and was able to pull a quote from, from Terry. It was from right when Utley's suspension, uh, you know, stemming from the, the slide had been overturned by, by Major League Baseball, um, in, uh, during spring training. And, and Terry was quoted as saying, you know, they, they made their decision and, you know, we can't really think about it and we're just going to go play baseball now. Um, and that was kind of the, the mindset that, that Collins, put out there in the media uh, whenever he was really pressed about it. Um, you know, I think the, the, the most emotion he ever showed regarding it was, was literally right after game two. Um, when they, they asked him on, on the podium after the game, you know, what, what happened? And he said, he broke my shortstop leg. That, that, that's all I really know. And, and we never really, you, you could tell there was some, some seething and, and anger behind, behind those words, but, um, he was never going to to say it. And then once the video of of Collins, you know, his his his, uh, his rant it gets public, which happened during a completely meaningless 2018 Mets game. They were in Atlanta, uh, and I think they lost like nine to two, seven to two, something like that. You know, one of those nights where you're just sitting on the couch watching a game, and it's you know status quo. And that that clip goes viral on Twitter, and that's the first time we've we've seen it um and his words just hold so much more weight than we had ever and, you know, and we had seen terry's rants before in, in post-game press conferences and we'd seen him seen him get ejected before um but this was him voicing his opinion on on something that that he had previously been very uh you know very very uh close-minded about uh, not close-minded but you know his, his uh his words were were uh, never really revealing in, in terms of how he really felt. You know, he's saying MLB did nothing to that guy, nothing. And, and you know, you got to give us a shot at him. Uh, and, and I thought it was just a very, and as, for, uh, as I'm sure everyone does, thought it was very admirable uh, of him to kind of take that, that stance. And, um, you know, I, I started the article by saying, you know, his, his bullpen usage wasn't great and his, his, uh, refusal to, to play young guys over, over the veterans is, you know, questionable at times. And how much of that was coming from upstairs is, is probably, uh, worth debating. But, um, you know, Terry Collins always had his players back and it was, uh, pretty, pretty, uh, remarkable thing to, uh, to see him go off on, on the umpires on that, that game in 2016, four years ago, uh, today as, as we're recording. Yeah. And, and, you know, that, that was always Terry's, um, Calling card. He was uh, he, he was he was a player's manager. Um, almost, I, I said this with Mike Price on the podcast last week. Almost to a fault. 
Um, you know, it got him in trouble. And we remember Matt Harvey in the World Series. And, you know, he, he stuck with his guys. And uh, those were his guys. And you saw it, you know. And, and it's funny you brought up the, the press conference because um, he broke my shortstop's leg. Because you could you could sense the the, the fury in, in, in his voice and his words. And, um, you know, it, it, it added another a little bit of fuel to the fire. And eventually when the uh, when they had the chance, you know, they took it. But um, it, I think that that endeared folks to Terry, because uh, I know a lot, a lot of fans. Um, what happened in 2015 left it left. A, and, you know, more than more than once, Terry kind of um, had his own ass in the jackpot. Um for, for, for sticking with his guys, or, or I guess you mentioned in the, in the article, whether it was lineup construction and stuff like that. But, um, you know, you had a, a certain endearing quality to Terry and that, that really, I think it came out and, um, I don't know if it swayed opinion, maybe it swayed some, but, uh, he's always going to have a, a place because of it. Now you brought up Sandy and, um, you know, as we all know, Sandy did all he could to, uh, with the, with the cards and he, he was dealt, to uh, to put a winner on the field and, and they were very competitive teams for a while 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 he was in town. Um, Jacob, you, uh, you, I assume you, you listened to uh, to Sandy's appearance on the Metrospective with uh, with Tim and Pete over at the Athletic. Yeah, it was uh, it was a two parter and really interesting um, because you know kind of similar to to what I was just saying with Terry and it was the first time we got to really hear his, his true thoughts on, on something as, as big as the Utley decision. The, this interview with Sandy Alderson was, was, um, was great because we, we haven't really heard him uh, dish honestly on his, his, uh, his time with, with the Mets. And, and I thought it was just kind of cool talking about a wide range of topics um, starting from the beginning of his tenure, um, which included the, the David Wright extension, which, which happened early on and, and, um, all the way through the the World Series appearance and the fact that he was dealing with uh, with cancer, um, you know, all through the the World Series uh, run and, and especially during the playoffs, and it's kind of sad to hear that he, him say that he couldn't, you know, fully focus on on his team being in the playoffs and the excitement of all of that because uh, you know he had the the cancer diagnosis and the treatments going on in, in the in the background, so. I, he, he mentioned, I don't know if it was reported at the time, but he was, uh, he was either in surgery or had just gotten out of surgery, um, or, or a chemo treatment, uh, right when Bartolo Colon hit his home run in San Diego. So he missed that. Um, kind of a, a wild tenure for, for Sandy Alderson when you think about it. Um, just from, from the, the extreme, extreme valleys to the nearly extreme peak. Um, kind of, uh, kind of a, a roller coaster ride, but it was uh, it was pretty cool to hear him kind of dish honestly on 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 that time with the Mets. Oh, you know, I'm big big uh, Sandy fan. Um, again, you know, he whether you know everybody was hoping for autonomy. Um, as far as pulling the strings, and it's questionable whether he got that. And I haven't heard the uh, the interview either part yet. They're both in my queue, and I just <laughs> I haven't gotten to it. I've been a little busy this week, but um, I do plan on listening to it. And, and you know, Sandy's such a smart, smart person and a, a brilliant baseball mind, and um, you know, clearly ahead of the curve as far as uh 
I guess you could say, you know, your, your analytics. Um, we've all seen or read Moneyball, I'm sure. Um, it, his legacy here is, I think, cemented as a guy who did all he could to, uh, as I said, to field a winning team. And, you know, uh, I liked that tandem, the the, the Sandy Alders and Terry Collins. I thought that we got more truth out of the franchise in that span than we got in a very long time. You know, Terry was not one to shy away from his uh, sharing his feelings. Uh, Sandy may have been tight-lipped at times, but he would always, he was a straight shooter. And I think that um that resonated with fans to, to a certain extent. And, you know, it, it's funny what, what good times for the team kind of, uh, kind of, you know, you hold a different opinion of uh, of certain players. Like, you know, Terry had some dark years, but I liked Terry Collins as his manager. And, yeah, he uh, he certainly made his share of missteps. But I really thought he did, you know, the changes that he made from early on in his managerial career. I'm sure we all heard about that where he was a little too fired up at times and um, – you know, he softened, and I think that that appealed to players, and I think, uh, again, he got the most out of players, which uh, which was very cool. I think the, the faith he showed in certain guys, your Wilmer Flores is your, your Jacob deGrom. I mean, we all remember Terry with his arm around Jacob deGrom in tears in Texas. Um, that was 2018, and since then he's been the best pitcher on the planet. So, you know, I, Terry certainly had his qualities, and I think that Sandy saw those qualities in Terry, I just I thought they were a great team. I really did. And you know, you, you can't know how much um interaction there is between the GM and the manager. I'm sure, you know, there's conversations, but you know, you can't be sure of the extent. Uh you just you know, good 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 times. I know they get a bad I Terry gets a bad rap and I feel uh I feel that's unjustified at times. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of the the topics that they went into which which I found interesting was um, you know, they asked, they asked Sandy, was there ever any discussion, uh, internally about going to a complete Astros style rebuild? Um, and he, you know, he said there was, there was none of that. And they wanted, even when they knew that they were not a World Series contender, they still wanted to remain competitive. And, um, I thought, you know, that that kind of, Shorten the the window of Sandy Aldis's tenure, perhaps in in New York. Um, given that, um, you know, if they had kind of punted on those those twenty twelve, twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen seasons, um, knowing that they had guys like Daniel Murphy and Lucas Duda in place, pre arbitration players who or arbitration eligible players. Uh, pre-free agency guys who, you know, you had in place and um, a farm system that was getting better, there's, you know, maybe an opportunity to, to, uh, to go in the, in the much younger direction instead of bringing in, uh, you know, a, a steady stream of, of veterans. Um, so I, I think it's, when you look back at, at Sandy's tenure, I think there, there's going to be a lot of what could have been, um, and uh, it goes all the way all the way down to the the 2015 World Series, which we, we don't have to get into at all. But um, certainly a lot of uh, what if uh, throughout throughout his years uh, with the Mets. And, um, but you know, it, it's worth 
worth uh, looking back at him with uh, with a, a certain amount of uh, respect and, and dignity because um, you know he, he he wanted to see the team succeed and uh, did all he could to uh, to get them there. Oh yeah, no 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 question there, and uh, I hope that um you know he he his tenure is looked back on positively because like you said he did a lot to uh it did a lot to kind of bring respectability to the franchise he wanted to turn this into a winner that was kind of his mo he was a winner he built winners and um you know i i think uh I, i'm certainly <laughs> i'm even more psyched up to hear the uh to hear the interview now because uh I, I was a big sandy fan but you know we shall see. I know his uh, his successor has had his ups and downs. We'll see how how he works out. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Jacob, what do you got on the docket, man? Anything else coming out? Uh, not uh, not anything as of now. Um, but I'm certainly happy to uh, to be out of school and have have some more time to uh, you know pick up some little projects here and there, like looking back at uh, <laughs> at the ass and the jackpot rent. Um, so oh, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully more of that coming uh, coming up soon. Oh well, yeah, you, you know, uh, I'll leave it at this. You, you got to give us a shot, right? <laughs> oh, I love it. All right, guys, I think that'll uh, that'll be it for this week. We will uh, we'll see you next week. Couple of guests lined up. Um, should be fun. And uh, yeah, you know how you know where to find us. Anywhere you have your anywhere you listen to podcasts, your Apple, Spotify. The whole gamut. Just search for Simply Amazing. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, all that fun stuff. And, um, yeah, we'll see you next time. Jacob, where can everybody find you on social media, bud? At Jacob underscore Resnick. As simple as it gets. <laughs> yeah, easy as cake. All right, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Let's go, Mets. Let's go!